Welcome to The Wobble, a podcast where we dive into questions, insights, and conversations on living a life with more balance. I'm your host, Ashley Smith, and let's get stuck in. Hello, hello. Welcome back to The Wobble Podcast. Today, I'm joined by health and lifestyle coach, Mirta Van Hamren. Her business-rooted lifestyle supports people in balancing their career ambitions with a healthy lifestyle through offerings including corporate wellness programs, yoga experiences, health coaching, and retreats. Mirta, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Hello. (laughs) Hello. I'm very excited to chat with you today. As we were just saying, we have a lot of shared experiences, it seems, from... Yeah, we do leaving our corporate jobs, kind of finding purpose in traveling. And um, both are fellow graduates of the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and both decide to do our yoga certifications from studios in Bali. So uh, yes, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I first heard you speak um, during lockdown when you were doing a talk about food as a form of self-care. Um, so love to hear, was health and well-being always something you were passionate about or how did it become more of a focus in your own life? Good question. Um, the answer is no, that was definitely not always a thing. Um, I've always been focused on my body though, but more through movement, um, exercise. I was a dancer when I was younger. So that was always there, but the food side of it was something I just really didn't know much about. Um, the reason why that for me came into my life was that I, first of all, I grew up with asthma. So I've always been, not always, I've been sick a lot in my life. And I think throughout puberty kind of was left with chronic fatigue, sort of exhaustion that never went, went away. Looked into that through the normal, you know, um, healthcare routes and never found an answer. And then by chance, I can't even remember how I got to her, but I was um, referred to a, and I've always been trying to find the English word for this. I'm not sure if it exists. A mesologist. Do you know what that is? No. Mesology. It's, it's an alternative type medicine. Okay. Um, kind of mixing Western with Eastern. And th- she was the first person to show me that, hey, food actually impacts your health. This was me around being, I think, 20, 21, maybe. Um, Never really thought into it. And Naya, she gave me some advice and things to cut out and, and do differently. And I saw the results quite quickly. And since then, I was like, ah, just a whole new world kind of opened up for me. And I've been trying and trying and trial and error and learning and finally started to solve some problems for me. One of them was fatigue. The other one was eczema. I had lots of skin problems. And... Yeah, kind of that, that's where it started, uh, the food okay. side of it. So over the years, and I'm still kind of on my way, I guess, in terms of like, first of all, your body changes, but you keep learning new things about yourself and how you respond. It's, it's quite a journey, but I've learned a lot over the past, let's say, decade or so about food and my body and myself. And it's amazing because it is like, even what we say in yoga, you're a forever student because yep. you always change and most of the time it does seem like there's something that we're personally dealing with that make us look into it further beyond the kind of traditional methods that say, okay, well, somebody has led me down this path and now I can see the impact that it's having. And it seems food has been a really big part of things for you. And you seem to have a really great mindset about it being a form of self-care. So what's kind of your approach around food? So I have never, ever diet 
that dieted. Um, if that makes any sense, that's something I've never really been, been keen on. Cause first of all, I just love food way too much. Food for me is literally three, four times a day, a little, you know, party that I create for myself and I just really, <laughs> really enjoy food. So dieting is never something that I've, I've enjoyed. And I think my biggest learning from whatever I've tried over the last few years, cause I've, I've never tried an actual diet, but I've picked bits and pieces from different diets that I was like, hey, that makes naturally or intuitively sense to me, kind of. And as a result of all those trials, um, I kind of ended up with actually just a whole food diet. For me, it's the most important that we cut out um, processed foods, uh, processed foods with all chemicals, preservatives, colorings, sugar, MSG, salt, whatever. And yeah, where I end up now is having a whole food diet where I get all the main macro food groups and um, the required nutrients that I need. And I start to enjoy that way more over, over time, kind of. So literally a whole food diet full of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, um, beans, legumes. I used to eat meat and fish, kind of slowed down on that. Although I have to admit, I went on a little trip to the Algarve last week and I ate lots of fresh fish and seafood. Mm. But it's obviously a local thing. So um, that, yeah, yeah, that was great. Um, and I'm not super strict on it, which I'm not on anything. That's kind of a big thing for me overall. 80-20 rule, like I call it. Um, so 80% of the time I've been being solid and kind of follow this whole food diet. And 20% of the time I just enjoy life and drink coffee and alcohol and eat cupcakes and brownies and whatever I feel like. So whole food diet, um, as low in processed foods as possible. And I guess the other thing is that, again, because of this trial and error that I've done so much over the last few years, kind of finding a way to tune into my body and start to understand better what works for me and what doesn't. Because there's one thing I've learned, and I think Naya, we've both learned that also in our, our education, but I also learned it from my own experience now, is like, even if a diet says this is good for you and this is not, it may work like that for some people, but it never works for the whole world. And you need to figure out what does work for you. That's why I say I took bits and pieces from different dietary uh, dietaries and you know food gurus and people that had great ideas. And over the course of the years, I just found my intuitive way of feeling like, hey, this is what my body's actually needing right now instead of craving or instead of, you know, some person who may have been famous telling me to do. Yeah. There's a lot to kind of unpack in there. I think one of the things that dieting really brings out is that there's more restriction versus introducing good things. And as soon as you add in that kind of restriction, then most of the time it is going to be a short-lived experience. It's not going to be a sustainable approach to healthy living. But one of the other things is like tuning into your body. I think that's, it's so difficult for a lot of people as well when they're getting started, because I think sometimes our body obviously knows what it needs, but at the same time, we, whether we don't understand the warning signals or, you know, we've normalized so much of, you know, poor sleep or, you know, bloating, inflammation, whatever it is, like we think that that's normal. So we're like, oh, that's not telling me anything at this point. So like when you're working with coaching people, how do you kind of help them to start to tune into their body, to start understanding maybe what their body is trying to tell them? A few things. One to begin, I guess, is to really start listening to your cravings. 
So if you crave, Maya, let's talk chocolate or sugar mm-hmm. like we all do, right? If that's something that keeps coming back for you on a regular basis, the most important thing is to start understanding what's beneath that craving. Because the craving is always a sign of your body that something is out of balance. And that something does not mean that your body does not have enough sugar because we get enough sugar anyways, right? Um, it could be something else. It could be dehydration, so not enough water. It could be a indeed food-related um, lack of a certain nutrient or a lack of protein or healthy fats or something like that. But it can also be something completely different. Um, in my own case, what I realized often the moments that I crave sugar or sugary foods is when I feel lonely or whenever I have not had enough sleep, when I'm tired. And it's not like after one night, but no, if that's one thing, for example, the last six months have been hurt for me because I had COVID and I'm suffering from long COVID syndrome. Um, now I can really, really feel how this kind of longer extended period of time of not sleeping, because insomnia is one of the main things that I'm suffering from, how that has affected my cravings and my food. I'm craving sugar and carbs all day long, all day long. That's so interesting. The thing is, yeah, it's very interesting. The the difference now compared to, let's say, five, 10 years ago, whenever it was ha- this would happen, now I understand that it's actually me being tired. Um, and a hey, lockdown times, I'm single, I live on my own. Yes, I felt lonely quite a few times. Of course, yeah. So I understand my cravings better now. So what I do a lot with my coaching clients in this respect is if they come up with a craving that comes back regularly, I ask them, okay, next time it happens, before you give into it, Take a moment to be mindful, to close your eyes, take a few breaths and ask yourself, what is this craving actually? Often the answer will come. It's literally just that moment of taking the pause in between before you make a decision and continue. That makes a difference. So tuning in a little bit with like, okay, I feel the sugar craving come up, but what actually is behind this? And your body often gives you answers as long as you give yourself time and a space to listen to it. So that's one thing. And then you can still decide to give into it. Huh? Like I often have my, I've given into it many, many times over the past six months because it was one of the few things that actually brought me joy <laughs> to, uh, you know, while being sick and at home a lot. So, and that's fine. But then you do it from a place of knowing, from a place of awareness and yeah, kind of from a place of power. Like I'm in control. I chose because I was in control to do this. And that was a, that was a choice. Or you can say, hey, maybe I don't need this bar of chocolate right now. I just need to lay down on the sofa and read a book or rest or call up a friend or do something else that kind of fills up the void, um, if that makes any sense. So that's one part. And the other thing I do with them often is to let them fill out a food diary for a while, usually like a week or so. So that food diary will give you insight into, first of all, of course, what you eat, but it asks you as well, how do you feel after the food physically? Um, mostly around energy, uh, brain fog, your mental state, um, and things like your gut, so bloating, stuff like that, but also emotionally. So what does it, did this food kind of do to me in, in my emotional state? And the funny thing is that even without me looking at it, people get answers from that themselves by just filling it out. They're like suddenly like, ah, I eat eggs, and every time after I eat eggs, then this and this and that happens. And the point is like... Uh, a lot of clients would come to me and be like, give me the holy grail. There is no holy grail. So this type of work, yes, it does cost time and it does cost a lot of trying and being very mindful. But those are my two, let's say, key tools that I use for people 
yeah, to, to start tuning in with that more. So really feeling your body, how does it make me feel? And starting to understand like, hey, there's actually a craving behind whatever I'm doing right now. Yeah. And the whole mind-body connection when it comes to food as well is, yeah. I think we're so programmed with this like instant gratification that it's like, well, if I didn't feel badly after eating something like an hour afterwards, then it was probably fine. Actually, sometimes whether it's the emotional state that changes or physically you feel differently, yeah. like that could happen the following day if you ate, you know, whether you had caffeine late in the day or yeah. you had a dinner full of something that, you know, doesn't suit you. But we're so programmed to say, well, you know, that was yesterday. So, of course. Yeah. So to give an example, it's a really good point, need To give an example for myself. So I already mentioned that I had eczema for a long time. Uh, the main reason for me to uh, to get like proper uh, eczema attacks sort of and like breakouts was soy. And I never figured, figured that out because it would only come up two days later, 48 hours. And once I cut that out of my diet, it was literally within 48 hours, it was gone and it didn't come back. So this is the thing. It's sometimes really hard to make the right connection. And that's why a kind of um, diet where you just, you know, take some things out. Um, elimination diet is what that's called. And you would take something out, one food group, for example, and you just see what happens. And that takes at least usually a few days to a week, if not a bit longer. Um, but that's the best way to figure stuff out because sometimes you just don't know. Yeah. And sometimes you do, like, as you say, you need the data. Like sometimes I want to have a food diary every day for the rest of your life, but doing it for no, a week or two, exactly. you just know, a week. Yeah. A week yeah. will give you an answer already. So, yeah. It seems that obviously there's so much challenge around the fact that there's just so much advice out there. So many different types of diets. People aren't as maybe tuned into themselves. And obviously marketing plays such a big role oh in gosh. that as yeah. well. Like, you know, you think you're eating healthy because marketing's telling you you're choosing the healthy, you know, yeah. whatever it is. But actually when you look into it, you know, the ingredients are anything but. Yeah. So... It's kind of, you know, looking at, yes, there is advice out there, but like navigating that and then really bring it back to what works for you. I'm sure when you're coaching people, you probably have similar questions coming up. I can imagine what, especially when it comes to like the food groups, like, you know, people tend to say like, well, that's bad. Carbs are the devil. Yeah. And I don't know how much protein, you know, like, yeah. how do you, how do you kind of approach that with your, with your clients? So first of all, I'm not a counter. I never count calories. I don't count grams of proteins and fats and, and carbs and stuff like that. Again, what I try to do for myself and what I also teach my clients to do is to look at diet, how to say, more holistically and like on a greater like a scheme of things. So as long as you work with this whole food diet, so fruits, vegetables, um, legumes, healthy fat sources like avocados or salmon and, and fatty fish and stuff like that, herbs, spices, those kind of things, um, and your protein sources, of course, then you're pretty okay. If you get at least one proper source of protein every single day, if you get at least one proper source of healthy fat every single day, and then kind of um, add it up with lots of veggies and fruits, you're already quite far ahead. So instead of counting stuff, because the moment this is the issue with counting, especially in a kind of, you know, society where especially women struggle a lot with eating disorders and stuff, the moment you start counting, an obsession comes in and we start to only care about the numbers. The numbers are there for a reason because they obviously give a guideline. 
But again, we're all so different. So you can't say that, let's say this person or like, you know, the guideline would say every human being needs so much protein every day that that's the reason the, the case for you too. So um, instead of looking at numbers, I just look at them overall when they fill out this food diary and I can see, hey, they never get a lot of, you know, healthy fats in through healthy sources of oils or avocados or nuts and seeds or things like that. Let's add that in and then we'll see how it goes, if it makes them feel any better. Um, so I look at it way more, yeah, I don't know what the word is, like roughly, not very, you know, um, strict around numbers or anything, very roughly, just making sure that they get enough variety in, um, in all kinds of foods. Um, because again, also things like every fruit and vegetable has a different, uh, has different nutrients in them, right. And different vitamins. So variety, whole foods, um, and making sure you get a little bit of all the three macros, which are carbs, fats, and proteins. And then most people are actually fine. Yeah. It's definitely that variety that I think people tend to forget. You know, they say obviously eat the rainbow, but the reason is, is because that's going to give you more of a diverse yeah. amount exactly. of nutrients. And, exactly. And it's very visually appealing as well. I love cooking with colors. Me too. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you can kind of look at it and say, okay, actually like this is making me feel good, but like you can actually see why you need it. And once you get into especially eating more things like vegetables, as soon as you have that dish that say has, let's say chicken and potatoes or something like mm-hmm. all of a sudden you look down your plate and you're like, wow, that's really bland. Yeah. Very bland. No, that's definitely a thing. And kind of practically how I do this is that I, and this is actually something I help my clients with a lot too, is to make sure that they are sort of healthy cooking ready. So creating a pantry and making shopping and cooking easy by making sure, for example, that you have literally all kinds of nuts and seeds in your pantry all the time. So you can just, you know, today I take walnuts, tomorrow I take pumpkin seeds and the day after I take chia seeds. So you can mix um, in that way. Same for different spices, same for whole grains, you know, always having quinoa and brown rice and buckwheat and different sources uh, available, different oils available. Um, I always have things like, you know, lemons in my cupboard or in my fridge or something like that. So making sure that your fridge and your pantry are so ready to create that, that variation. And now, especially for example, if you like Mia, if you live alone, it's quite hard to buy 30 different vegetables every week because you just can't finish it just too much. So I kind of try to look at that practically by saying, you know what, maybe I can't do 30 a week, but at least across the weeks, I kind of change it up. It's not like I go every week for the same vegetables. So this week, you know, this is my, my box of veggies that I cook with. And then I finish it because obviously throwing food away is another story. We don't want to do that. And then the next week I take a different bunch again. So in that way, trying to create that variety, but it's really about setting yourself up in the kitchen, making sure that the dry stuff you have available, that the only thing you need to buy is the fresh produce, like your fruits and veggies and and protein sources. Um, And that kind of helps. Yeah. And it's a great point, even in terms of coming back to cooking and preparing things yourself, because I think for me, that's when things really change. Like I thought I was being healthy for a while and it turned out I wasn't. And then when I got into cooking, it really meant that I was able to be more self-reliant and that makes you far more accountable for your own health. Cooking gives you that self-reliance and being prepared in the kitchen is definitely a big part of that. 
Yeah. And I, I think for a lot of people, uh, the reason why, so if you ask me like what kind of clients come to me, it's usually the type of clients that are actually aware of the fact that they could do, could do a little bit better. Um, they often also aware of what is good, what may be not so good, at least to overall. And then obviously there's a few specific, but the question is often like, how do we do this? Like the how, the practicalities are, and yeah. how do I make cooking easy? How can I start enjoying cooking? Um, and because I have a lot of people who follow me on Instagram would often send me messages. How do you cook all these amazing meals? And I cook literally so simple. It doesn't cost me a lot of time, but I meal prep in a way. Maybe that's another thing that that really supports me. I don't meal prep as in, you know, the fitness people that would meal prep their, you know, boxes, the same thing for the next few days. I meal prep in the sense of, um, so for example, I would on a Sunday afternoon, I would cook a batch of quinoa, like a proper full pan of quinoa. And I would make a curry with that overnight. But the next day I have some leftover quinoa and I would make uh, a salad where I add some quinoa in, which is already boiled uh, and ready to go. So literally I take some greens, add some quinoa and then some, I don't know, chopped cucumbers and, and carrots or, or something like that. And the next day after that, I could use a bit of quinoa, for example, in a porridge in the morning for breakfast. And I kind of do that always. So whatever I cook, whether it's quinoa or sweet potatoes or pumpkin or any veggies, if I cook veggies, I always cook a little bit more. So if I have dinner tonight and I make a bunch of veggies, the leftover goes tomorrow into a salad, which is just lettuce, veggies, some seeds, feta cheese on top, and I'm done. So, and I kind of keep, keep that rolling. So yes, I cook, but there's always something extra for another meal the next day. Yeah, I think that's my way good. of meal prepping. It's a good point also in the sense, I think we learned this a lot during lockdown just because we were making three meals a day and it was, yeah. we were less wanting to eat the same meal again the next day, but it yeah. was taking the individual components of it and turning it into something else the next exactly. day. That's exactly what I do. Yeah. 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 That's a great point. It's been amazing actually. Like I think one, a lot more people have had to get you know, more into cooking, obviously, because there yep. was less options available, but also like, I think it really made people very aware of what they were eating, which is always a positive thing. Yeah. Like I give a lot of corporate workshops and that's obviously the people that used to spend lots of time in cars or public transport to get to work and come home and never have time and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, the kind of people that you and I need, used to be, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I recognize it, obviously, but what I tell them as well is like, you got back, I don't know how much it's different for everyone, but let's say at least one hour a day of time that you don't have to spend in a car or in a train. Use that time to either move your body to exercise or, you know, do like spend some time on grocery shopping and start to enjoy that process instead of like quick, 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 quick. Um, start reading labels, start understanding what you buy and really start spending a little bit, not loads, but just a bit more time on cooking. Make that a family thing if you have a family. Include your kids because um, cooking is really a way to connect for people that work at home. And this is a question I get a lot from, from corporate people is like, how do I disconnect from work at the end of the day if I literally only have to close my office door if I'm lucky enough to have an office in the house? Yeah. How do I disconnect? And cooking, next to a few other things, of course, but cooking is a really great way to Get into the present moment because you need to chop and do whatever you need to do. Um, get into the present moment, get out of your head and kind of into the physical realm of Naya, our beings, and to connect with whoever you have around you. 
Definitely. That was a huge, we, we spent a lot of time, like we almost made it a point, especially in the early days of lockdown yeah. where it was really hard to create those boundaries and like yep. separation. And it was like, yep. okay, we'll just spend an hour in the kitchen, music on, felt like you exactly. were in a different yeah. world and it was yeah. brilliant. And you actually had something really enjoyable at the end of it. It's actually a funny thing. Uh, I only read about not too long ago. It was an article about cooking and, and mindfulness, I think, and talks also about this, that is actually proven in research that because cooking is kind of taking separate bits and creating that into something different, like combining it into mm -hmm. something like you're creating something has been proven by research that that is actually one of the best ways to become mindful. So yeah, I found that an interesting fact. And a lot of people don't enjoy cooking, but the moment, and this was a big one for me, I've never been a great cook and I still am a great cook, but I enjoy cooking because I now realize, hey, this is one of my main forms of self-care and one that I can control. Like there's so many things in this life, especially the last year and a half, like it's just out of our control health-wise and it's difficult and mentally and physically we move less, uh, we have less contact. So there's so much that we, that's out of our, you know, span of control and cooking is the one thing, or at least one of the few things that I have in my control and I can do myself. So once you start to see like, Hey, stop being lazy, just get into the kitchen and understand and really realize that this is the best way to take care of me and my family. Yeah. And it's, you're using all of your senses when you're cooking as well. Like it's a yeah. very interactive thing. And I've learned a lot from my partner in cooking because I would say that I've never been a good cook and I'm not a great cook now. But as you say, like I've really learned to enjoy because he's yeah. quite creative. Like he can just look at the ingredients in the fridge and he just sees like yeah. a meal that I'm like, I yeah. would never have saw that <laughs> as a, a dish, but it works. Okay, let's try it. So yeah, it's just like probably being a bit easier on yourself and like experimenting a bit in the kitchen. So it definitely feels like we do need a bit more of a mindset shift when it comes to food. Less thinking about how does this food affect my waistline and more so, you know, how does this, yeah. you know, how does it impact my gut, but also my immune system? Because what many people don't realize is that 70% of the immune cells um, are in the gut and therefore, yeah. you know, it has a really big impact on us. So I'm assuming some of your clients come to you looking for that way of like boosting their immune system with food. Yeah. So you're very right. So 70% of your immune cells in your gut. And actually what happens when you eat, huh? so food that gets into your stomach and your whole digestive system, um, there's something that we call the gut lining, which is actually just a bunch of cells or not a bunch, like millions, billions, I guess, but, um, a lot of cells and the food that we eat, the nutrients and, and stuff like that is being absorbed by those cells. So there's a saying, you are what you eat. And that makes sense because like we are cells, all of us, that our entire body consists of cells. So the moment you eat something, your cells pick that up, you literally become what you eat. So yeah, you can imagine if you eat crap, you become <laughs> crap and vice versa. So if you think about it in that way, like you're literally nourishing every single bit of you from your immune system to your organs, to your hair, your nails, your skin, your eyes, your brain. A lot of people underestimate the impact of food on the brain, but there's a direct connection between the gut and the brain. And more and more research is thankfully showing that this research was actually done on people with severe depression. So people with severe depression 
food is obviously not the, the cause of depression, but the moment you give people with severe depression, a very healthy whole food, again, there we go, whole food diet to eat, depression levels lower significantly, not just a little bit, but significantly. And yeah, this is one research. There's so much information out there about that connection. And I think we somewhere all recognize it. I like where I feel that connection very clearly is the moment when I have one of my, you know, my 20% evenings <laughs> on a Friday night and I'm binging on crisps and cookies and chocolate and ice cream and whatnot. And then I feel happy for like 15 minutes and then I drop into this big dark hole, feeling terrible about myself, feeling low in energy, feeling guilty and all of that. That's the most kind of tangible way that I can feel, hey, this connects to my brain. But it's way more than that. How many people these days suffer from brain fog? Which is often, exactly, which is very often caused by processed foods, by sugar, by um, grains sometimes, by gluten, things like that. So there's a huge connection between the gut and the brain. And again, literally you are what you eat. So if we start to understand more the, let's say, physiological effects of food on us and understand that health is, you know, so much bigger and everything is connected, then you start to see like, yeah, food is actually something really, really like great tool for me to work with and to, to just be healthier. If I look at myself 10 years ago, quality of my hair, the quality of my nails, my skin, my stomach, my energy level, so much has just improved. It took some time, but over the course of, you know, of a, of a few years and understanding what worked for me, there's been a huge impact overall. Have you, because I always get mixed feedback when it comes to doing things like cleanses and doing fasting. Do you have any like gut healing rituals that you do for yourself? Not a ritual as in do a juice cleanse every, you know, three months or so. Um, I do cleanse every now and then, uh, but it's very occasionally. And I would say once a year, maybe. And usually I do that when I feel like it's just time for a reset. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to do it slightly different, not as in a deep cleanse and a very like, a you know, this is the stop point, but more looking at my diet overall, making sure it's got enough pre and probiotics. So I, for example, I brew my own kombucha and I drink kombucha on a regular basis. I make sure that there's lots of, uh, foods in my diet that are pre and probiotic to support my gut. And actually, again, eh, it actually, it's not that you have to do something very different. If you, if you eat that whole food diet full of nutrients, full of fruits and vegetables, healthy fats through fish and avocados and nuts and seeds and things like that, you're actually eating a gut healthy diet. So if you get there, so this is another thing I want to talk about supplements or superfoods. People think like, or protein powder is also one of those things. I need protein powder in my diet. But actually, if you just come back to this basis, let's so I always start with my clients and start with the foundation, look at this diet. And from there, we can see if you need something kind of additionally. But actually, if you have that whole food diet, we shouldn't have to worry so much about the gut. The only thing that might be a thing is that, for example, and again, this comes back to the point of we're all different. Um, you might be very sensitive to gluten, which affects your gut, even though for some people, a whole grain Gluten, you know, like uh, just in in wheat um, and and rye bread, for example, might be totally fine. But if that's something you respond to, then it might affect your gut. So we need to figure out, of course, which uh, foods are not ideal for you. 
But in principle, that whole food diet does well for most people. Yeah. And it's amazing too, like you were saying about your 80-20 rule. Like, yeah. I follow a similar way of thinking about it. And over the years, I mean, that 20% has changed so much for me. Like I usually now have like banana when I need a bit of sugar, yeah. you know, it's just change. Yeah. You know, I still love the occasional glass of wine and things like that. But like, I feel yeah, so much worse now when I drink than I used to. <laughs> and therefore yeah. you probably do it a lot less because yeah. you feel it so much more. <laughs> it's very interesting that you bring wine up because I literally had this conversation with a friend of mine the other day um, that because of, uh, first of all, because I became healthier over the last five years or so. So I started to drink less and less and then COVID happened. So we didn't go out. So I was drinking less and less. Then I had COVID. So I've been off alcohol for quite a while and now give me one glass, maximum two. And I'm like out and I don't feel well the next day. And it kind of makes you realize like this is how poisonous it actually is for your body. We're just getting used to it. That's the thing. And it really catches me off guard sometimes because I'm like, I used yeah. to be able to drink so much and now I've had two glasses and I feel awful. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I recognize it. I liked what you said in um, your talk when you just said, eat like you give a damn. Yeah. Thumbs it up so well. It's like. Think about what you're putting in your body, like treat your body right. Yeah. And this is another thing. Like so many people that I speak to, they're always like, oh, I don't have time for that. I, I, I can't do this. It's too difficult. Then I say, you know what? Yeah, fine. If that's your choice. But it, this is the thing. It's such a choice. Mm -hmm. And if you can't choose your health and your well-being right now for yourself, then that's you, you're going to feel the pain at some point because Often people will think, hey, but today, you know, I'm skinny or I feel good. I'm fine. Nothing's wrong. But you can be skinny on the outside and fat on the inside. Yeah. You can be super unhealthy on the inside without even knowing. But, and again, so this is, it's not about, you know, me eating, I love Oreo cookies and then they're really, really terrible. But it's not an issue if I eat Oreo cookies once a month. The problem starts if you, because we have, let's say, two to six eating moments every single day, depending on how you eat. If you eat something bad for you six times a day for the course of 70, 80 years or something, it will affect you. Your body needs time to recover kind of. So we forget that what we eat today actually impacts our health in the long term. We forget that all these kind of older age diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and diabetes, cancer even, all kinds of things, but also stuff like asthma and, and you know eczema, things like that are actually caused for to a large extent, not all or only, but to a large extent by the food that we eat. So if today you experience things like brain fog, bloating, other gut problems, skin problems, um, energy issues, always feeling tired, those are the kind of signs that something bigger is going on that might end up in something really big when you get older. Yeah, it's just reminds me, I, I watched The Matrix for the first time <laughs> over the weekend which is embarrassing to admit that it's taking me this long. I have to admit, I've never seen oh, that either. Thank you. <laughs> Everyone I say it to is like, what? I know, I know. It? Yeah. it was a brilliant line that really stuck with me. They were looking at the machines, but he was saying, nobody cares how it works as long as it works. Yeah. And like, of course, my mind goes straight to like health. And I'm like, that's exactly it. Nobody cares if you're, how your body works as long as it works. And that's when the day that it goes wrong, it's like, exactly. what do I do now? You and know, that's yeah. too late often. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really important to think about health, like not just now, today, you might be great today, 
but maybe not forever. And you can turn it around. Your body, like, because again, we, we exist completely of cells and your body keeps renewing those cells. So over the course of, I think it's something like seven years, I can't remember the exact amount, but I think it's like five or seven years that your whole body renews itself. So even if today you're the worst, you smoke, you drink, you eat terrible food and whatnot, if you stop today, in seven years' time, you're going to be the healthiest person again. So it's not like, oh, I've always lived really badly. So it's never going to be fine with me. You can turn it around. But again, it's a choice. And yeah, I really feel that we should make that choice and teach our children to you know, and educate our children to do better from the start instead of having to turn something around. If you start, right? It absolutely baffles me that something that yeah. affects us so much is not in like the curriculum when we're younger. It still yeah. is mind-blowing. How are we not taught about nutrition? <laughs> but n- nutrition is one, but mental health, mindfulness, oh, yeah. personal development, all those things are not being taught. You slowly see that there's stuff happening in that space thankfully but that needs so much more work health and everything is so based on the individual but if you could give say three more like general tips on small changes that people can make to start thinking or living a healthier lifestyle do you have a few core ones yeah actually one of the answers to that one is to start eating for you to stop listening to other or, okay, maybe that's a rephrase, not stop listening to other people and gurus and stuff, but listen and listen with your body. So if someone tells you, you should go raw and vegan, you can actually be like, okay, I can try this, but how does that make me feel? We need to understand really that we are all different. So start with that whole food diet. That's the basis. And from there, figure out which foods within that whole food diet do and don't work for you. So literally feeling and knowing that something that works for you may not work for me, and that is fine. So create your own diet. And I understand that that's not something easy. That's There's a reason why there are nutritionists <laughs> and health coaches. Honestly, that's how I did it too. I needed help. And that's that's how you start. So starting to really understand, yeah, to, to create your own diet, I think that's one thing. And another one is because we often, even if you're in the space of like, you already have that understanding, hey, food is really, really important. Food is not everything. I actually have most of my clients come to me with food questions and we talk about food and nutrition for one, two sessions. We end my program talking about completely different things. So I think about it like this. If you, even if you would eat, you know, broccoli and avocados and, and chia seeds all day long, which is amazing. Um, if you are in a unhealthy relationship, for example, or if you really, really actually dislike the job that you're doing, you will still feel tired and you will still feel unhappy in life. And the thing is, again, mental and physical health are so interconnected. We can't see them separately. And this is another thing that people forget. So when you think about your health, And so this is not a nutrition tip, but when you think about your health, look at it holistically, like there's more to me than just the physical. So if I take care of myself through food, amazing. But when we do that, also have a look at your life. And that's kind of when you speak about balance, it is about where do I live? How do I live? What does my day look like? Who do I hang out with? Um, How's my relationship? 
am I doing the job of my dreams? And the answers to that are actually really difficult. And that ties a little bit more into my personal story and maybe your own too, that if you step away from what you know, if you step away from the path that was paved for you, you know, throughout your life and maybe what your parents or your friends or whoever expected from you, that's freaking hard. But yeah, in the end, it's so rewarding. I'm still taking steps. I haven't created my dream life yet. I'm not 100% there yet. That's okay. It's, it's a journey. It's a, it's a life to, you know, I've got time. <laughs> um, but if I look back over the past 10 years where it started with food and then yoga came into play, then meditation and mindfulness and kind of all those things. And all these things combined have slowly helped me to connect more with myself and what I wanted in life. And as a result, I understand better what I want and where I want to go. And I've found the guts and the mindset to, and the belief in myself and the trust that everything will be fine to kind of, you know, pursue those goals. And yeah, here I am. Um, what is it in the meantime, I think six, seven years later, after I stepped away uh, from the corporate world, not six, six years, it's four and a half, I think, sorry. But quite a few years later, I'm creating the life of my dreams bit by bit. Yeah. It's such a great point. Like one, holistically, you have to look at your health because like, I know for me, when I was having gut issues, I had them for about a year and I worked at the functional doctor and we went through all of my intolerances. We went through all these different things to help my gut. And it was really changing my living situation and my relationship that it ultimately, I was fine after that. And it was incredible because I was like, wow, I went through a year of trying to figure out what to do from a food perspective, but actually it was what was going on in the other part of my life. Um, But then just talking about kind of, you know, going through a bit of a change in your journey, like it is a tough thing. And I always come back to mindset because it plays such a big role. Like I'm not sure how that transitional period was for you and continues to be, but it really feels like we have to deprogram ourselves or like retrain yeah, ourselves, do. you know, to actually believe that a different path is not only in benefit of us, but okay. Like, you know, we put so much importance on certain things that society tells us is the norm. And yeah. then when you go a different direction, you know, it takes, it takes a lot of courage, but also a change in mindset to get through that. Yeah, it does. And like you say, it continues to be a challenge. <laughs> um, this is something that's still there for me. Um, I obviously taken a few steps. And one of the, the, how do you say it, like quotes or something that I really live by is, if you can't beat the fear, then just do it scared. Like I still well, am so afraid of so many things, whether it's you know, living abroad on my own. Will I ever find the right man in my life? Um, what do people think of me living, you know, in Portugal and running my own business and messing up every now and then and not choosing the the, the standard path? Um, being an entrepreneur, all these things, it's really, really different than what most people do. And not to judge anyone who chooses to do it that way. That's totally fine if that works for them. But for me, yeah, it's been, it's been literally one of the best decisions ever. And this is, I think, something to, to remind yourself of if you're, if you're afraid and if you're struggling with this. Like, you only have to take one step because once you have one foot in, 
you will never want to go back. <laughs> so even though, like I say now, like the highs are so much higher, the lows are also lower. That is definitely true. But I'm so much closer to who I am deep down and wanted to be. Um, it's not easy, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. And yeah, you just need to find that one bit of, you know, trust and, and guts um, to get you over the edge because there's no way I can go back. I just can't. I've done too much inner work. I've done too much uh, work on myself and taken too many different steps than the usual path that I just can't go back anymore. And I don't want to. So yeah, think about it like that one step at a time. It's a great way of even checking in with yourself. I've definitely had days where you kind of go, this is so hard. Like I could, it could be just easier yeah. to go back. And then, you know, my yeah. partner will look at me and goes, well, do you want to? And I'm like militant about it. I'm like, no, I will not go back. He's like, well, that's yeah. your answer. I'm like, okay, just yeah. keep putting one foot in front of the other. Like yeah. you're already further ahead. It's one foot. Yesterday. <laughs> exactly. It's one foot in front of the other. And it's also uh, making sure that you have a, have a vision. And that vision doesn't mean you have to be super clear. And my vision has changed over the years. And I'm still not, you know, doing my thing. But um, if you have a vision, if you have an idea, this is kind of the direction I want to go, that will keep you going. Yeah. If you don't have that vision, and I've seen that happen in Bali so many times, because Bali is obviously this, you know, paradise for, for people that want to change their lives and go different and be an entrepreneur or, you know, a digital nomad or something like that. And they come and after three months, like, oh my gosh, this was too hard. I'm going to go back. But this because mostly they either didn't have the discipline or didn't have the vision. So you need to have some sort of idea. Like, this is my dream life. This is what my life looks like. Five years ago, I've written down on a paper and a piece of paper and I still have it with a few girlfriends. We did kind of like a woman's circle visualizing where we would be in, I think we said three years at that time um, or something like that. So it's been a bit longer, but my dream house is very much like literally the space I'm in right now. So if you have that in your mind, if you know what you're, what you're, why you're doing it, what you're doing it for, what you want to add to this world, like that's the thing. I'm like, why did I make the step from consulting and banking into health and well-being and supporting those same people? There's a reason behind that. There's a, I feel that I need to add something to this world and leave something behind. And if you have that, that's what will keep you going. If you don't have it, it's going to be hard. Yeah. You need the clarity and I'd say also having community in whatever form you find it, whether it's online communities or in yeah. person, but I've definitely found that, you know, just meeting, even when being in Lisbon, meeting with expats or speaking to other entrepreneurs, because it starts to normalize the things that you're yeah. going through in a good way that like, you're not completely separate from everyone else that you know. And it's like, yeah. Oh crap. Like no one else very, is doing this. <laughs> exactly. It's very interesting that you bring it up actually. Cause I was in the Netherlands back home because I'm, I'm Dutch. I, I lived there most of my life. I was, and I go back home twice a year or so. I find going back home very confronting because everyone back home is still, like, I call it normal <laughs> <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. And again, there's no judgment around that, but it's so confronting for me. Because I feel like I have to defend myself constantly, like explain what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Whereas here and in Bali and these expat communities with like-minded people, with other yoga teachers and, and health coaches, um, it's so much more, this is the norm. So yeah. it's, it's a really good point to surround yourself with people that lift you up and 
maybe not will do the same thing, but at least they're able to support you in your decisions and your, and your, yeah, your path. Yeah. Sometimes it's even just, you know, it seems to be when you find more expats, like a lot of people are far more unsettled. So you're traveling a lot more, like you're more open to exploring new places. And again, like just having that support saying, yeah, like, isn't that wonderful to be able to go travel and see other places versus like, why haven't you settled down? You know, why haven't you chosen a place? You know? So it's, it's just good to have people on different sides of the fence too. too. You lose people on the way. That's the thing. Yeah. I just hope for most people that that's not your closest, closest people, of course, because that's hard, but I've lost people on the way, but at the same time, that's been okay. Cause I also get at a whole bunch of new ones that are way more supportive of what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you if you are up to talking about it, but you've obviously very been very open about the fact that you've been personally suffering from long COVID symptoms um, that have seemed to present all kinds of different physical and mental effects that you've been dealing with for months now. Would just love to hear a bit about how it's been for you and how you've approached your health maybe differently during this time when you've been trying to recover and deal with it. Yeah, um, happy to talk about that, of course, because I feel like it's something that we need to talk about more because there's not enough information about it. Um, I had zero, literally zero symptoms when I actually had COVID in the moment. The only reason why I knew I had it and got tested positive because I knew I had been with someone who had it. So that's why I got tested. Um, My stuff only started, let's say, I think three weeks later. Somehow the weirdest complete adrenal exhaustion kicked in. And since then I've had proper uh, fatigue, exhaustion, whatever you want to call it, heart palpitations, chest pressure, insomnia for months, which has actually been the worst, like nights with zero sleep. Awful. Cause now we all know how important sleep is and just excuse my French, but it fucks you up. If you don't like one night is okay. You will all be able to deal with that but not weeks in a row. You just go completely bananas. (laughs) Um, So insomnia and then uh, a bunch of other things. And it's, I know now that they call it long haul COVID syndrome. And there's a list of things you can get from what I just mentioned till even um, nauseousness and and stomach aches and headaches and a bunch of other things. It's really, really difficult because it's not that I'm sick, there's never been a sick, like I need to be in bed all day type of sick, but I'm actually very sick and not anymore as much, thankfully now, because I'm obviously getting better, but it's been more than seven months now and I'm still suffering from just not being able to focus, to concentrate. Um, I have loss of memory. I can't, I've for, forgotten names and little details and numbers that I used to be able to come up with like, like that without even thinking. Um, I can't work for much longer than let's say two, three hours every day because I'm just done. Being around people is very intense. So actually, and this is what I've learned um, obviously by listening to podcasts and reading about it and, and, and hearing other people's experiences is actually a condition of the nervous system. It's your nervous system being completely overwhelmed and out of whack. So in the beginning, I also had things like feeling super cold or super hot. So it dysregulates kind of because your nervous system regulates so many functions in the body. So if that's off whack, everything is off, is off balance. So I, and that's literally how I felt. I felt so off balance. I have not felt sick, but I've felt very off balance and unable to live my life the normal way. And that's 
been very hard physically, of course. In the beginning, I couldn't even walk around the block. There was already too much energy. So it's never been my lungs or, you know, coughing or something, but it's been that energy bit. And the other way, like, so physical is one thing, but it's also been a big mental challenge because, you know, I'm a very active person. Usually I'm super social. I love to work and I get a lot of my feelings of self-worth um, from working and, and helping other people. And I've literally not been able to work much over the past six months. And that's been amazingly, tremendously challenging for me on a mental level. So, and this is another interesting thing. So because it's a nervous system condition, um, your brain gets impacted too, because your brain is one of the biggest parts of your nervous system. So one of the, or let's say two of the, the bigger symptoms that you find on that same list as the heart palpitations and the energy stuff is anxiety and depression. And I have never, ever, I mean, I've had my stress moments, of course, and my worries like every human being has, but I have never, ever found myself definitely not in depression, maybe a little bit of anxiety, but not so much. And the past six months have been um, very difficult in that sense. I found myself in very deep, dark holes, which were completely new to me. I understand what that is like now. And it's just something that I don't recognize in myself. That was hard and shocking and yeah it's i'm i'm getting better and yeah there, there is progress but it's i'm not there yet and it's going to take not just a few more weeks but a few more months to be actually fully better um so i feel like 2021 is kind of you know wiped out when it comes to bigger things but and that comes then or ties into the lesson that i got from this and how i've been taking care of myself the main lesson is rest because yes, it's immune system as well. A lot of people would say a nervous system and your nervous system is also being um, impacted by the food we eat. And if we move and, and mindfulness and things like that. And obviously because of the work I do, I had all the tools in my toolbox. Mm. So I've been using all the tools. I've tried everything and it's all helped a tiny little bit, but nothing is the holy grail. And that's literally because it's a recovery process. Nothing is going to make it better just like that. It's it's a recovery of the nervous system and that takes time and patience and acceptance and rest. So my biggest lesson has been in acceptance, accepting that I can't live my life right now the way I'm used to and that I need to give in to some things. And the other lesson is to bring in way more rest into my life because, yeah, I was always on the go and always busy and always doing things and pushing through limits that apparently I had, but I just kind of ignored because I just loved life too much. I wanted to do everything right now. It's resting, taking life a lot, a lot, a lot slower. And that's not easy. I have good days and I have bad days. Rest is not easy for us to do. Oh my gosh. Rest is very hard. Again, this is one of those patterns, one of those things that we just created for ourselves. And we We've forgotten what it's like to, to really, really rest. We think that's, you know, scrolling through Instagram when we're laying on the sofa. When yeah. I just got COVID, doing that even put my heart rate up. So it's very interesting that COVID has actually showed me how even little things in life are a stressor for us, kind of something that we have forgotten. So that's really interesting, yeah. actually, because you're you kind of you're kind of being forced to step back even more so than you would have had to normally during like lockdowns and things like that. Yep, and totally. seeing what, like, as you say, something probably super normal is like scrolling through Instagram. 
and you probably don't clock, you know, how that affects you mentally yeah. and emotionally most of the time. And now it's like, oh, wow, that actually is a stressor. Yeah. It is a stressor as are a lot of other things as for example, as well, like things like the, the, the fact that we always keep going. One of the things I do now in my days is to bring in little breaks in between whatever I do, whether it's grocery shopping or making a meal or working or meeting a friend in between, I take a rest, even if it's just 10 minutes to take a few breaths because we keep going. And if we never keep going, uh, sorry, if we never stop and always keep going, it's the same thing what we started with around food. How will you ever be able to feel and just be in your body and ask yourself, what do I need right now? And that need can be food, but it can also be rest. Do I need to sleep? Do I need to say no to this party or this gathering with friends tonight because I'm just tired or I'm on my period and it's, you know, it's not my time right now. We just keep going. We think that we're always on this full on high, um, you know, this super high energy. Whereas actually we go through seasons, whether it's through, of course, female cycles, but also seasons, times in life, uh, your health. We need to be able to tune in with that. And we can only tune in with that if we take those times in between to feel and to sit with it. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Well, thank you for sharing that because, you know, you don't hear it from everyone. Everyone's had a different COVID experience. So, of course. And also like taking the lessons learned from it, like, you know, you you only can do so much at certain points. And as you say, you had everything in your tool belt, but it doesn't mean that you can make it go away. No, you can't. And as well, like I'm... I like to think of myself at least as one of the most healthy people on this planet. And my immune system was very strong. And again, I had all the tools in my toolbox. I was doing all the right things already. So for me, changing my diet or, you know, sleeping more, that didn't really do much because I was already doing that. So even healthy young people, and the funny thing is you hear when it comes to long COVID, most people that get it are young and healthy. There will be at some point more research from the medical side of it. Why that is, I also, I don't have the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that we probably know in, an, I don't know, a year's time or so. But that's very interesting. So it shows that even, you know, the healthy people, I've never been worried of getting COVID, but it turns out I should have been more careful maybe and more worried because it's hit me significantly, of course. So yeah, we shouldn't underestimate it, I guess. Well, thank you for sharing that as well as your journey. Um, to, to wrap up, I would love to know if you have a book that you've either gifted most or perhaps one that's had a real impact on your life that you'd like to share. Can I give you two? Perfect. One, one is a book, one's a podcast. So Excellent. when it comes to food, I actually rarely read books. I've, I've read a, a bunch of books, of course, but again, most books are very guru and, and theory related. So I, just doesn't do it for me. I love to listen to Mark Hyman's podcast. Mm, he too. is a functional medicine doctor and he talks about all kinds of health related and food related topics, but in a very open-minded way, a very holistic way. And also in a way that says there is no one truth for everyone, for every problem. And I just love that. So it gives you an overview. And again, you can pick and choose. This works for me. That sounds right for me. That doesn't. And that's okay. So Mark Hyman, when it comes to food, listen to his podcast. It's called The, the Doctor's Pharmacy. Yeah. And book, it's not a food book, Brene Brown. Oh, she yeah. changed my life. I uh, read her book. It was my very first personal development book, let's say. And that's literally where it started. That's kind of kicked off my inner journey. Which book was it? 
it was the ooh, what's the English word in Dutch? I think the power of vulnerability. Is that okay, it? Okay, yeah. That's, at least that's the name of the talk. Maybe that's not the name of the book. I know which um, one you're talking about because it's the one that came out of the talk, the vulnerability book. Yeah, because I yeah, think she that, has that, a few. She has a few, and actually, it doesn't even matter. I like this. No, also, brilliant. the uh, the gifts of imperfection is also really, really great. It doesn't matter which one you read, but she has literally opened my eyes for a different way of looking at life. Um, and looking into myself and my own vulnerability and that it's okay to be different and vulnerable. So those are the ones I would like to give you. Two brilliant recommendations. I love both of them. And I actually just signed up for um, Mark Harmon's doing a, uh, well, he has courses all the time, but mm-hmm. he's doing the uh, sleep masterclass. So I'm- Oh, cool. Yeah. So learning more about sleep at the moment, but- Talking about that, can I give yeah. you one more? Yeah. So funny. So sleep has been a problem for me. One of the things that's been helping me is a podcast, um, which is called Nothing Much Happens. Hmm. And it's bedtime stories for adults. Amazing. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It literally brings you to sleep. So yeah, try it. My partner is not a great sleeper and uh, we're always looking for things to help with that. So that is definitely one on the list. So try. Yeah. Excellent. A good one. Any final tips or advice that you want to leave the listeners with on living a more balanced life before we wrap? No, we've covered it. Just listen to you. Create the best life and the best lifestyle, including habits, healthy habits around food and sleep and and, and movement and stuff that works for you. Really, really start to focus on your own body, your own being, what you want your life to look like and work from there. You are your best guide. Uh, you know best what, what's what's good for you. And just use the books and the information and the coaches and the trainings and the workshops, whatever you do, just to learn more, get more educated and get inspired. But you are the creator of your own life. That's summed up brilliantly. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want yeah. to learn more or connect with Mirta, check out her website. It's rooted-lifestyle.com. And I highly recommend following her on Instagram at M-Y-R-T-H-E underscore rooted lifestyle. Thank you so much. It has been absolutely brilliant to have you on. And I very much hope that we'll be able to meet in person soon in Lisbon. Me too. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk about these very important topics. Thanks for tuning in to this episode from The Wobble. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and do follow us on Instagram at The Wobble Podcast to stay up to date with what we have in store for you.